Good morning, baseball fans, and welcome to episode 10 of the Morning Round Trip. We're here on July 20th. My name is Drew Frank, joined by Liam Crothers. Hello and good morning, everybody. And today our top story is a continuation of what we talked about in our last episode as the Toronto Blue Jays continue to look for where they'll be able to play their 2020 home games. Now, it was originally reported that Mark Shapiro was disinterested in sharing facilities with another team as there is early suggestions of potentially playing in Tropicana Field and trying to schedule games around when the Rays would be out of town. But he had said that uh, that that wasn't what they wanted to do. They wanted to have their own space. They wanted to have their own facilities. And since then, it's been made clear that the players would actually prefer that route. And as such, the Jays are trying to find one. And new Blue Jay Anthony Bass said that Jays management has told its players it is determined to try and find a major league ballpark for the team to play in. There was an athletic article where they talked to a few Jays players, Anthony Bass being one of them, and it's made clear that the team would rather play in an actual major league facility as opposed to being the sole team playing out of a minor league park. It was reported that the Jays were looking at PNC Park, among others, and I, I don't know, do you think this is weirder if you see the Jays playing, say, the Orioles at the Pirates Park, or if you're seeing them play in Buffalo? I, I think it's strange either way, you know, for, for however long we've seen the Jays play all their home games at the Rogers Center, uh, and this is just another chapter in the case of the Jays looking for somewhere to play their games uh, inside of the United States. Reading into it, Buffalo, understandably, is not a feasible option. Uh, obviously, the facilities would have to be borrowed. Uh, they're not up to, to standard. But also, the uh, the replay review systems and the broadcast systems aren't as accommodating f- uh, and the at the AAA ballpark as they would be at a major league ballpark. And it's questionable if Buffalo would even be able to be renovated, not only because of what's going on in terms of COVID, but also in terms of the time that it would take to have these systems be installed and be installed properly. Obviously, a major league ballpark is better than a minor league ballpark. It's definitely going to be weird regardless of where you see them play this year because it isn't going to be the Rogers Center. But I don't mind the look of PNC Park. I think it's very pretty. (laughs) Uh, I'm just interested to see what it looks like without fans. They've got until the 29th, because that's when the Jays were supposed to be playing their first home game against the Nationals. So that gives them nine days from now. I'm sure they have some sort of plan. Uh, There were people seeing, there's a video that surfaced on Facebook of people surveying Salem Field in Buffalo, taking measurements, wearing Jays logos and Jays clothing. So clearly they are still trying to make that option work if it's possible, or at least exploring what they would need to do to make that work. I saw an interesting tweet that maybe if things have panned out differently, the best place for them to play would have been at Globe Life Park in Arlington, the old Rangers Park. But the reason that they can't play there, not because of travel, it's because they moved all of the walls to facilitate the XFL. And now left field is about 200 feet away from home plate, and it's unplayable. But I thought that was pretty funny that they had a, they had a fully ready major league park, but of course the now defunct XFL had to go away, go in and change everything up. So that might not have worked because of travel, but it's uh, 
it's interesting, I think. And and realistically, if you're already in Florida, what's the difference travel-wise from taking a plane to Toronto and taking a plane to Texas? I mean, it's obviously a little different, but you could see how that might have worked. Yep. Obviously, the Rangers are in the AL West, so they're going to be playing their games uh, along the West Coast. So maybe it would have been a little bit a little bit questionable logistically to try to get the Jays from Texas up to New York and then back down to, I don't know, say Tampa Bay. Maybe it would have given the Jays some unneeded miles, uh, and maybe that was an issue on top of, obviously, a 200-foot porch. Personally, I think that would be a tremendous hitter's park, and I think it would be really interesting to see, but I digress. <laughs> Texas, obviously, can't be an option given the wall, but also, I think, also given geographically, where it is and how tough it's going to be for the Rangers playing their games this year in the West. I feel like it would be the same story uh, for the Jays playing their games in the East. Yeah, I don't I don't think the travel would necessarily be the end of the world because, no, not at all. as I mentioned, Texas is closer to teams like the Rays, Miami, and Atlanta, or three of the nine teams Toronto is facing. You don't have to worry about... I, personally, the way I, I see it is, if you're hopping on a plane to Toronto, you're hopping on a plane to Texas, it would be more or less the same risk of exposure, I guess you could describe it as. Yeah, the flight is about the same distance, I guess, to like a Toronto or a New York. Yeah, Pittsburgh, of course, would be a good option, but we'll see. We'll see uh, We'll see where this develops. I, I think it'll be an interesting story to watch because it's uncharted territory for the most part. Like We haven't seen anything like this. Now, for the first time in what feels like our whole time doing this podcast, we actually have a positive or somewhat positive COVID update just by the nature that it's a short one. We don't have any new positive tests to report, and we just have the one piece of news that Red Sox pitcher Colin McHugh is opting out. And we've talked about the fact that the Red Sox don't really have too, too much in the rotation as uh, in terms of depth. And a guy like McHugh's had some success in the past and potentially might have had a little bit of upsides coming off of injury. Could have been a dynamic piece in the rotation, but instead he'll be sitting out for 2020. Do you have any thoughts on this decision or what this will mean for the team? I just think that this is a case of the Red Sox are going to be bad. What's the point in playing the, I guess, nine games uh, that Colin McHugh would probably get in a 60-game season? They don't lose too much here. He wasn't ever going to be your number one or number two guy. I think it's just another almost nail in the coffin for this Red Sox season. So, Bo Sox fans, for those of you listening, I suggest just taking this year off and, uh, I don't know, finding something else to do with your time. Yeah, he actually pitched 74 innings last year. I'm not sure why I thought he was out with injury, but nonetheless, uh, he would have had an opportunity to uh, potentially get back for a full season this year, full-ish, I guess, if you'd call it a full season, a healthy season at the very least. But of course, you can't blame anyone for opting out or, or, or anything like that. So really no more to say on that front. So let's move right on into the games we had last night. There were four exhibition games uh, across the MLB, really across the country. We had two on the East Coast. The first one was between Baltimore and Philadelphia, where after Philadelphia slaughtered Max Scherzer, they were unable to generate much offense against the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff, so figure that one out. But the Orioles themselves hit three home runs, three guys that you might not look to. I mean, not necessarily the biggest power guys out there. We saw Cedric Mullins, Pedro Severino, and Pat Valaika hit home runs. And I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts on this game, but... 
a 4-1 game between the Orioles and Phillies doesn't really leave me with many resounding thoughts to comment on. Not really. We mentioned spring training 2.0. This is summer camp. I don't take these scores too seriously. Yeah. I think you're just more so looking at individual performance. Obviously, the Orioles lost the second most games last year. I don't think the numbers are going to be too different. Given 60 games, obviously, the, the mass of the number is going to be different, but I don't think the win percentage is going to smile upon the Baltimore Orioles this season. Well, and we certainly saw that it is spring training 2.0 in the Bronx last night. The Yankees, who were up quite a bit, uh, I believe it was 6 nothing at the time, heading into the bottom of the ninth. Despite being the home team, they still took their at-bats in the bottom of the ninth. But this game, we saw the Stars performing for the Yankees. We saw Judge homering on the fourth pitch of the game, or fifth pitch, I believe. First at-bat, either way. And we saw Gary Sanchez leave the yard. We saw Stanton hit a monster home run that he pulled way over the left field wall. We saw Luke Voigt go yard. And of course, we saw Aaron Judge hit a second home run. So the question I want to ask you is watching the Stanton home run was nice because it's a guy we haven't seen put a stroke like that on a ball in a major league park in some time. My question is with... Mike Trout being essentially considered a guarantee for the number one prediction spot for both fantasy picks and specifically for the odds for the American League MVP. Do you think people are kind of sleeping on Stanton a little bit? Because that's kind of where I, I think we've gotten to. I think people forget that Mike Stanton has the third most home runs in a 60-game stretch in MLB history uh, behind two guys who ate balanced breakfast and uh, exercised properly, I guess you could say. No, two guys that are assumed to have done steroids. Mike Stanton, as of right now, is clean throughout his whole career. There isn't any evidence to suggest otherwise. He's just a massive humanity who's able to swing a baseball bat like it's a toothpick. Stanton is afforded the opportunity of one of the best uh, strength and conditioning staffs in the world in the New York Yankees. And I think a lot of people forget about what he was able to do on a god-awful Miami Marlins team. And I think he's overshadowed a bit by Aaron Judge in his massive rookie season a couple years ago, the power of Gary Sanchez. I think if Stanton can have a healthy season, he's definitely going to be able to mash balls like he's done throughout his entire career. And if you're a fantasy owner and you see him available to you after maybe your first, uh, I guess, set of selections, after maybe your first or second guy, if he's still on the board, which I I would consider unlikely, but if he's still there, he's going to give you home runs. Like, that's a guarantee. And I don't see any reason why Stanton shouldn't be part of your fantasy lineup, and I don't see any reason why uh, he wouldn't be part of this Yankees lineup in a big, big way going forward. Well, we saw the Stars producing in the Bronx. We also saw quite a bit of action in Chicago as the White Sox visited the Cubs. Battle of Chicago at Wrigley Field. But here's what I think is the most interesting part. We saw mid-game Luis Robert liking his own highlights posted on Instagram during the game from the dugout. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, you don't see that very often. It was SB Nation's Ricky O'Donnell that pointed it out on Twitter. Obviously, I feel like that falls under the let the kids play category where you love to see that kind of energy, that kind of just fun stuff, you know what I mean? But the game itself, we saw 
Some action. We saw a huge Adam Angle home run. Not the biggest guy, but man, he really got a hold of that one, and you've seen him do that in the past. We also saw Jason Kipnis leave the yard to get the scoring going. He's a guy that's in a bit of a positional battle for second base, as it looks like it's going to be him and Horner splitting time, and still don't really know who's going to be the opening day second baseman there. But uh, you watched this game, so I, I, I want to know what, what thoughts you had uh, from what you saw. I did watch this game, and as a long-suffering Cubs fan, it seems like for the past couple seasons, uh, this felt maybe like more of the same. Obviously, it's summer camp, so I'm not too concerned about the score itself, but I am a little bit concerned with the performance of the Cubs' bullpen. Uh, Kyle Hendricks started this game. I thought he looked great, looked to, looked to be in midseason form. He's one of those anomalies, you know, gets, par- gets compared to Greg Maddox quite a bit just for his ability to throw pitches that look like balls until they end up being strikes, doesn't throw a ton of heat, is going to be the Cubs' opening day starter and is going to be followed up by Hugh Darvish, which I think is the right decision. Kyle Hendricks, a guy who, getting into his 30s now, uh, is is going to look to work on just maintaining his body and throwing 81 miles an hour consistently is going to help you do that. Just a note, I thought Wilson Contreras actually was a standout for me because I thought he may have added some speed in the offseason. I saw him beat out a ground ball on the infield, and I saw him tag up twice uh, on balls hit into the outfield. Uh, He actually tagged up to third on a fly ball that was hit to the right of the left fielder. So the momentum carrying the left fielder over towards the third base bag, he was able to beat out a throw there. I think the biggest takeaway from this game, though, wasn't what happened on the field. Jed Hoyer, executive vice president and GM of the Chicago Cubs, was sat in the stands of Wrigley Field, and during the broadcast, they went to him, and they had a couple of questions for him. First of all, they mentioned that if a player tests positive for COVID on the road, it's not a bad deal for the Chicago Cubs, because that player can just travel by car back to Chicago, instead of maybe if a Jays player tests positive in Florida, who have to quarantine for the two weeks uh, before taking a flight, that player can just drive themselves back to Chicago. The other note, though, was that he believes this is the last chance for the Cubs to really make a run at the World Series before they see some turnover. And I'm paraphrasing here. He said that he wants to see some of these guys do something before some of them leave Chicago. If you're a Cubs fan, you've known this for a while, uh, just given the nature of the Chris Bryant contract talks and the fact that Anthony Rizzo has an option coming up. It's really, really interesting this season just because... You hope that they can get something done before inevitably some of these guys leave on expiring contracts. And regardless of what happens, uh, a ton of these players are going to be held in Cub folklore for at least the next 100 years just because of the role they played in 2016. And regardless of what happens, I wish them all well uh, if this is their last season. And I hope that they can get something done. Well, we discussed that a little bit with the Dodgers last week in a, a, a different situation, but somewhat similar. Of course, they didn't have the same success. They didn't have that one World Series. But I, I guess you could say they also had more pressure, being that they've dominated that West and have had nothing as a result. And they were the final team in action last night. They hosted the Diamondbacks and pretty handily took them down 8-1. to one. The one that the Arizona Diamondbacks scored was via a Ketel Marte home run. That was, I believe, the second batter of the game, maybe the third batter of the game. 
But that was the lone mistake that Mitchell White made. Dodgers prospect who wasn't even on my radar, a guy I hadn't even heard of, to be completely honest, before this game. He goes, pitches quite well. I was able to watch the majority of his start last night. He pitched five innings on just 54 pitches. And here's the takeaway that I think is most impressive, especially when you're talking about a prospect that hasn't developed yet. He didn't have a single three-ball count against him. And that... Is mind blowing. Five innings worth of work against the major league lineup, one that a lot of the people have as a as a wild card team. So I I think that's a good sign for him and uh, for the Dodgers, a team that you know always seems to have insane pitching depth. There's uh, another piece in the puzzle. Another thing that came out of this game is Cody Bellinger after hitting a grand slam, a beautiful grand slam by the way, a high inside pitch that he just went and got. He said after the game, the only thing we need to work on is our end-of-game celebrations. We don't know what to do. And I think I'd be in the same boat right now with the the lack of physical contact you're allowed to make and, and, and how you have to kind of figure things out on the fly. I, I can see how that would cause some problems in the post-game celebrations. You almost hope that uh, whoever wins the World Series this year isn't a team that's been suffering a long drought because... I mean, how do you celebrate with social distancing, right? <laughs> like, if the Indians win it after, God, nearly like six decades of being unable to do it, you almost hope that they don't do it this yeah. year and they put it off till next year just so they have the celebrate chance to... It. Exactly, you have the chance to properly celebrate. Oh, man. Well, I- I'm sure they'll take a win wherever they can get it, but... Uh... Hey, yeah, that's that's tough. I mean, we've seen some players actually say that it would be worth more because it's a one of a kind season. If you win it now, it'll be remembered as a, you know, someone a, a season you won't forget. I guess is the best way to say it. And we've heard some people say it'll not count the same because how gimmicky is. And we've heard multiple players say it'll still be worth more than the Astros World Series. So I'll, I'll let you <laughs> interpret that in whatever way you want to. But that'll just about do it for our time today. Uh, If you want to look for baseball tonight, there are all sorts of games. Uh, We've got eight games tonight as 16 teams are in action. A few of those are are split squads. But uh, the one I want to point out, I guess there's two. The the Cubs and White Sox are back at it again. This time, they're playing from guaranteed rate field. It's Darvish Keuchel. That's a good matchup. But the Angels are visiting San Diego, and it's going to be Griffin Canning for the Angels, but it's going to be Garrett Richards for the Padres, a guy that couldn't quite figure it out with the Angels. He had a good year, but he also was hurt quite a bit. And they signed the Padres signed him to a two-year deal, wasn't able to play last year, but they knew he wasn't going to be able to play. They signed him for what he could do in 2020. And I want to see what he can do against the Angels. This is going to be a game that, if I can find it on TV, this is one that I will be watching. And, uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts on either of those two games or any of the other ones tonight? Uh, Richards is interesting. Uh, he did play those three games with San Diego last year as a 31-year-old. But uh, not not meaningful games. They, they, they knew no, he wasn't going to be a contributor. Not. Yeah, pitched pitch less than nine innings total uh, in three games. Nothing crazy. And from 2011 to 2018 with the Angels, uh, nothing fantastic to show for in terms of uh, team success. He wasn't awful uh, by any stretch. But I think as a guy who's getting up and into his 30s, this is going to be an interesting season for Garrett Richards. And I'm excited to see what the old guard of baseball can produce. (laughs) Yeah, that's something I'll be looking forward to. And check that game out if you've got the time. If not... 
We'll be right back here tomorrow to tell you all about it. You can find us on Twitter at TripMorning, on Instagram at MorningRoundTrip. And like I said, you can find us right in your podcast feed. Tomorrow morning, we'll be continuing every single day. So have a great day, and we'll hope to see you then.